Good morning. That wasn't too bad, I guess. I think one of the greatest challenges that we face as Christians is growing in our desire to walk closer with our Heavenly Father. See, a true believer will want to give their life over to the Lord and live for Him as they begin to explore and understand the depths of God's love and goodness to them. This is, of course, way easier said than done. In fact, it can be quite discouraging. I think of how many times I have looked around and I seem to be the only Christian not growing in the Lord. With a quick show of hands, how many people here today have felt like they were stuck spiritually? Right? All of us. Today I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture that I believe will help all of us to grow in our walk with Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you today, we are not turning to John chapter 14. We are done with John chapter 14. We're going to look at John chapter 15, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's take a moment to go before the Lord. Father in heaven, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, Lord. There is none that can stand before you. Every knee shall bow in the presence of your holiness. What is man that you are mindful of him? Thank you for your love that you so graciously bestow upon us. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us from our sins. Father, I pray that you will help us to listen to what you have for us today. And then help us to not only listen, Lord, but to apply it to our lives create in us a desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father, help me to be faithful to your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 
So as we look at our text, we're going to learn how we can be more spiritually productive. Jesus divides us here into two groups, and I want us to look at four ways that Jesus is teaching us to live for or abide in him. Verse 1 begins with Jesus saying that he is the true vine. Now, interestingly enough, this is actually the seventh and the last of Jesus' I am statements. This next little bit I want to share with you isn't necessarily about our passage this morning. But I do believe it sheds some light on who Jesus is. I mean, isn't that why we are here? To learn more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that this will help us to get a glimpse into the fullness of his character. In John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 10.9, I am the door. John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, which Pastor Matt did for us a few weeks ago, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Finally, then, in our text this morning, we see Jesus says, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was called God's vineyard or vine. The Israelites were to produce fruit, and God would be a vine dresser for them and care for Israel. However, here in our text this morning, we see Jesus not talking about remaining in the promised land. He is talking about us, the children of God, abiding or remaining in him. If you look back with me to the first verse of our text, we see that Jesus is telling his disciples that he is the true vine. Now, I want us to keep in mind that we are in the last teachings of Jesus before he goes to the cross. We are at the very culmination of his ministry. Everything in the Bible, from the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 to now, and everything that comes after is because of Jesus' obedience to death, even death on a cross. You can find that in Philippians 2.8. Now we know from Scripture that Jesus was a visual type teacher. His goal was not for his teachings to be above his disciples' head. He wanted them to understand it. He wanted them to grasp it. Now the last verse of John chapter 14, Matt read for us last week, tells us that Jesus and his disciples are about to leave the upper room and they are on their way to Gethsemane. Here Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, and will then be arrested by the mob led by Judas. So it appears Jesus' teachings in chapters 15 and 16 are en route to the garden. Now I want you to take a moment to picture this with me. This would have been mid-April. The grapevines would be beginning to blossom. And I bet Jesus stopped and showed his disciples what he was saying. He would have probably taken the vine in his hand and showed his disciples and said, I am the true vine. 
He then explained the father as the vine dresser as he cares for and loves his only son. He would have shown them the branches bearing fruit so that they would understand the connection between themselves and Jesus Christ. Maybe he would have torn a branch off that had no fruit on it and cast it to the ground so that they could see that apart from the vine, a branch can do nothing. See, apart from the vine, a branch will die and never produce fruit. I can picture all of the disciples nodding their heads, confirming their understanding of Jesus' teaching. I want us to take a moment to look more closely at verses 2, 3, 6, and 8. I've clumped them together like that because this is a huge passage, and we have a lot to get through. We see here two opposites. We see here two different types of branches. Most clearly in verse 2, we see that we have branches that bear fruit, and we have branches that do not. Then they're either cut from the vine or cultivated, depending on whether or not they bear fruit. Now, please understand that this verse is not teaching that we can lose our salvation. There are several passages in Scripture to confirm that we are once saved, always saved. See, that is why Jesus reassures his disciples in verse 3 of our text. He had referred to them as clean in John 13, 10, but not every one of them. This is because Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him. See, Judas is the kind of branch that does not remain in the vine. He is removed from the vine and cast into the fire. This is because he never truly believed in the first place. There was always betrayal in his heart. This next passage I want to look at, you don't have to flip there, but I think it's important for us to hear in light of what we're learning about today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, verse 23 is what I want you to hear this morning. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The point I want to make here is that there will always be those who look dress, and act the part who do not truly believe. So on the flip side of this, what is this fruit that I'm talking about? Well, for starters, it represents the fruit of the Spirit. We find these in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we move further on to James chapter 2, we read that a faith without works is dead. 
So our spiritual fruit also consists of living a life of holiness and witnessing to others. There are several other examples throughout Scripture that show us what the Lord wants from us. All of this is our fruit. And we bear more and more fruit as we learn to abide in Jesus more and more. Verse 8 then tells us that by bearing much fruit, we prove to be his disciples. Now I want to take a moment to be purposefully clear here. Good works are evidence of our salvation. Not how we attain it. We're talking a lot about works right now. So I want us to understand good works are mere evidence of salvation, not how we attain it. Salvation is attained through the grace of the Almighty God. The next thing we see here is the amount of fruit a branch bears. Different branches bear different amounts of fruit. I would also venture to say that a branch might bear different amounts of fruit in different seasons. The good news here is that we can always bear more fruit. Now, I don't care if you're sitting there this morning and you're a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian for 50 years. We can bear more fruit. Remember in verse 2, we saw that branches that bear fruit are pruned so that they can bear more fruit. But then by the end of verse 5, some of the branches are bearing much fruit. There's a progression taking place here. There is spiritual growth. So let's pose a question. A, a question. If I'm a Christian, I'm not going to hell. I don't have to worry about that. Why deal with being pruned? sounds painful, and bear more fruit. I'm really glad you asked me that. <laughs> because in verse 8, the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. Isn't he worthy of all the glory that we can give him? He loved us so much that while we were still sinners or enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's out of Romans 5.8. See, from the beginning, God knew that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. When you repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, your death penalty was paid in full. See, that's what we deserved. Death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you do not have a desire to live for him and bear as much fruit for him as possible, I would dare say maybe you aren't part of the vine. See, this isn't simply about living in thankfulness or, or giving back to the one to whom we owe everything. Jesus says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
Maybe fool. Just as a branch receives sap from the vine to produce fruit, we receive the life of Christ in us to produce spiritual fruit. Abiding in Christ is about staying and keeping our lives centered on Christ from day to day. So we looked at the two types of branches. And now just four short points and we'll be done. You're like, oh man, he's been talking this long and we haven't even gotten into his four points yet. (laughs) These four things will help us to abide. I don't want to get up here and tell you we need to abide in Jesus and then us not take time to see what that looks like. This is about digesting and understanding the Word of God. The first step to bearing much fruit in Jesus Christ is faithful pruning. I want us to notice at the beginning of the passage, Jesus did not start by saying, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yes, he did, but not until verse 5. Jesus starts by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. See, God is primary here and his role as a vine dresser is critical for us to bear more fruit. Now, in case someone here doesn't know, a vine dresser is basically a farmer in a vineyard. We already know that the branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. But I want to take a closer look at the pruning process of the fruit-bearing branch. Now, I'm assuming that most of us don't have much experience with vine dressing and growing grapes. So here's a free lesson in horticulture. Grapevines are one of the most vigorous growing plants in the world. The vine grows and uses most of its nutrients, extending itself with useless growth instead of developing grapes. Untended, a grapevine will grow wildly out of control and only deliver random batches of low-quality grapes. So a vine dresser prunes out these sections of the vine that are not producing. Up to 90% of a vine will typically be cut out over the course of a vine's life. Now, this is not a careless process. A vine dresser is very careful in their cutting. They don't just hack and slash at the vine, hoping for good results. They are very selective, and they only leave branches growing in the right directions. This best protects the fruit and gets the fruit exposed to the sun so it will ripen. A pruned vine will produce much more high-quality grapes than one that is left untended. Now understand this. I'm not saying that Jesus was a wild child that the Father had to keep a close eye on. This section is to help us understand the love and care of the vine dresser toward the vine. God pruning us is the process 
by which we are sanctified. As we abide in Jesus and start to bear fruit, God the Father prunes or takes things out of our lives that hinder our growth in the Lord. This is to help cultivate righteousness in our lives and make us more like Jesus. Brings us to the second thing I want to talk about this morning that will help us bear much fruit. An active dependence. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To think that we can produce fruit in our lives apart from Jesus is to grossly underestimate our own depravity and sinfulness. Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Friends, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Not a few things, not some things, some of the time. Nothing. There is no room for any other idea here. It is only by Christ working in us and us abiding in him that we can produce any fruit. Fruitfulness is a necessary and infallible mark of Christianity. We can bear no meaningful, lasting, eternally significant, life-changing, spiritual, or moral fruit apart from Jesus. We are taught independence from a very young age. We want to do everything for ourselves. We are always striving to be independent financially, intellectually, and materially. And while independence is in many ways a good thing, it is quite another thing to be dependent on God. It is not weak or unhealthy to look to the all-knowing creator of the universe for literally everything that we need. I would also like to clarify that dependence does not mean that we are somehow passive in this process. We must be actively abiding in Christ as he works through us. We must choose daily to take up our cross and follow him. And in turn, he will provide the strength and the wisdom to do so. Even though the vine provides the sap to the branch to produce the fruit, the branch still has to actively do its part. An active dependence is absolutely necessary in our spiritual lives if we are to bear any fruit in the kingdom of God. We must recognize that we need him every step of the way. So what does this active dependence look like, you might ask? Let's examine our prayer life. Are we praying regularly and without fail? Or are we just throwing a quick prayer out there to get it done and get it off my spiritual worksheet for the day? 
Are we talking to our Heavenly Father at all? We need to spend meaningful time in the presence of the Lord, pursuing our will, His will for our lives, and then waiting, okay, key word, waiting on Him for a response. Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Why is this so difficult for us? We are born again children of the Almighty God. We have escaped the clutches of hell. And owe the Lord our all. You know what all means? It means everything that we have. Jesus says in Mark 12.30, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And yet we literally have time to do everything we want to do and then we are too busy to spend time with our Redeemer. Shame on us! No wonder the world is lost. We are not the light that Jesus has called us to be. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why aren't more of us praying? You're praying now, aren't you? <laughs> Don't give me excuses about your schedule or that you can't get up a few minutes earlier. Are we hungry to see God move in Lahana, Colorado or not? Do we really want him to be non-ignorable to the ends of the earth? Do we want to see him glorified and lifted up? Amen. Then we need to actively seek his face. Friends, we can unleash the favor of heaven upon us. We could see fruit produced in us like we have never seen before. God is ready, friends. Are we? This will not be easy. Prayer is hard work. We live in a society that offers instant gratification at every turn. Prayer often has no immediate payoff. It is the great separator between Christians who are depending upon God to provide for and bless them and those who are just coasting. Are you just coasting through your spiritual walk this morning? I have coasted most of my Christian life, but I am telling you today, God wants us to know him in a deeper way through abiding in Jesus.
point three. See, you made it halfway. And remember, we're looking at ways to bear much fruit by abiding in Jesus. Jesus says in verse 7 that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. John 1 tells us that the word is God. Now, I'm not just talking about speed reading your Bible or even memorization of the word. I'm talking about letting the Bible transform and renew our minds from the sinful influences of this world and train us in the paths of righteousness. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friends, the transformation power is in the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, thank God for it. If you don't have one, we got them in the back. Don't leave without one. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we read our Bibles, friends, our Bibles read us. We must allow the Word of God to point out our shortcomings and our failures. Typically, as people, we only seek out things to confirm what we want to have confirmed. You know I'm right. But the word of God will strike us at our hearts and lead us from our sin and fleshly desires. You want to know the best part? Then our prayers will become amazingly effective and fruitful because what we desire for our lives will align with what God desires for our lives. That's how you get what you want when you pray. Funny story. When I was a teenager, I wanted a Mustang more than anything. <laughs> See, I knew that God promises in his word that if I ask anything in Jesus' name, he will give it to me. So you can imagine I'm pretty excited. I was going to look so good in that car. Well, long story short, and I'm sure you've already guessed, God didn't give me a Mustang. Why not? I'm a child of God. And I asked in the name of Jesus. So what happened? Did the Lord not keep his promise? See, the problem did not lie with whether God had kept his promise or not. He always keeps his promises. The Lord is always faithful. The problem was that I was not abiding in Jesus. God promises uh, to give us what we ask if 
it glorifies the Father. The Mustang was about my glory, not God's. If the Lord had given me that car, it would have pushed me deeper into my pride and materialism. He will not give us anything that can harm us. Remember earlier we saw how the vine dresser loves and cares for the vine. God wants the very best for us. This makes me think of my own daughter, and it, it may cause you to think of your children as well. She has heard the word no more times in her life than she can shake a stick at. It's because I love her. And I want the very best for her. We constantly pray and ask God for things he will not give us because they are harmful to us. I'm going to say that again in case you didn't get it the first time. We constantly pray and ask God for things he simply will not give us because he knows that they are harmful to us. Now maybe you're sitting there this morning, maybe you think a prayer you're praying is righteous. Maybe you think since you're praying for the health of a loved one to return, that it's something God will give you. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe the sickness in your loved one is causing them to have a greater dependence on the Lord. Maybe the finances you are struggling with is so that you will have a greater dependence upon the Lord. God's ways are not our ways. It's Isaiah 55.8. But I have more good news. I will tell you one thing for absolute sure this morning. Whether you like the way God answers your prayer or not, He is seated on the throne. And he loves you. And he wants the very, very best for you. Last point, and we'll close. We need a loving obedience to bear much fruit in Jesus Christ. A loving obedience. Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He continues in verse 10 with how we can abide in his love. By keeping his commandments. Jesus says that he has kept his Father's commandments that is why he abides in the Father's love. Go back to verse 8. Bearing much fruit is how we prove to be his disciples. This is relational. We express our love and devotion to the Lord through obedience to him. In our culture today, we have trouble associating love with obedience. But obedience is an act of love. It is hard for us to obey 
man, it's hard for me to obey. We want to do it our own way. In fact, apart from Christ, we will choose sin and eternal damnation every time without exception. But as we read our Bibles and we pray and let our will be broken to the Father's, we will experience Christ's joy that we see in verse 11. And it will be full. As we abide in Jesus, we will move from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit and be filled with the joy that is without end. This will be a slow process, Christian. It will be accomplished by the day-to-day choices to take up our cross and follow Jesus or follow self. Satan will tempt us to watch our favorite TV show. Instead of reading our Bibles and praying, you're like, oh man, now he's after my TV. So before you tune me out, don't get hung up on what I just said about your favorite TV show. It's all good and well to have that until it supersedes your time with the Lord. Then, friend, it is idolatry. Then, it is sin. Satan will use anything he can to keep us from growing as believers. I'm calling to all of us this morning, wake up, my brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are at war. Make no mistake about that. I have been challenged deeply in this. I am up here pleading with you because I want to see the Lord work in a mighty way. Not because I have somehow mastered abiding in Jesus. In fact, as I wrote this sermon, I realized how much I didn't know. And I've tried harder, but it's, it's a lot of work. But we need to work at it. Because I do want his joy to be in me. And I want it to be full. I want that same joy for you as well. Before we close in prayer this morning, if you are sitting here today and you are thinking that you are not a part of the true vine, come and give your heart to Jesus. There is no time like the present. He is waiting. The penalty has been paid. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you. Ask someone here that you know loves Jesus. They will be more than willing to take the time to pray with you. Maybe you're sitting here today and maybe this has made you uncomfortable. Maybe you're not allowing the vine dresser to prune you. You can fix that today. Study your Bible. Feed on the Word of God like your spiritual life depends on it. Because it does. Pray. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin against Him. 
He loves you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Dearly Father, you are a truly merciful God. The love you have for us is amazing. The patience you show us is astounding. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, please deliver them from their bondage to sin and set them free. Father, make their soul cry so loudly for your redemption that they are unable to leave this place without you. Please, God, draw them to yourself. Father, for those of us that are in you, for those of us that are a part of the true vine, help us to abide in you. Help us to seek your face in everything that we do so that you may be glorified. Father, you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise forever and ever. I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Scott.